Welcome to the 30th episode of the Unnamed Adventures podcast. On today's episode, we'll bring you along with us on our tours in Kentucky to Woodford Reserve, Old Forester, and learn why copper is used for making whiskey and how whiskey barrels are made. Enjoy! Our first tour, we're going to start off with Woodford Reserve. It goes back into early Kentucky history. It's one of the three oldest in Kentucky. Dates back to 1812 when a man named Elijah Pepper arrived here, an Englishman and a frontiersman. He decided to get into the corn whiskey business on the banks of Glens Creek down there. He found a freshwater spring, decided that might uh, augment his cattle and corn business. So then his uh, son Oscar Pepper took over the family trade. He expanded the distillery and for a hundred years it was known as the Old Pepper Distillery. Now in 1878 it was bought by LeBrow and Graham. There were some English, uh, well, Englishmen and Scotch guys down from uh, Frankfort, Kentucky. They kept distilling here. Should I talk louder? Just raise your hand when you can't hear me. I know that that air conditioner is a little loud. Is that better? Yeah. All right. So LeBro and Graham bought this distillery in 1878. Continued distillation here until World War II, 1941. Of course, they stopped for prohibition. So our mission today is to make our new and modern contemporary brands in these old historical 1800s buildings. So today we make Woodford Reserve Distiller Select Bourbon. That's the official bourbon of the Kentucky Derby because we're the only distillery completely surrounded by the most prestigious thoroughbred horse farms, racing and breeding farms in America today. And then our second bourbon is Double Oat. We make a rye whiskey and a malted barley whiskey. Now folks, in the 1800s, there were thousands of distilleries in Kentucky. Prohibition hit us very hard here. But today there are 11 major brands all located in central Kentucky that make 95% of all the bourbon produced in the world. And the reason why is this gray house you see in our bottling over here on your right and our maturation warehouse in the fields to your left, that's a very unique and rare rock called calcified limestone. It releases calcium and magnesium into the soil, grass, and water. Those minerals are critical for building strong bones in your horses. And also the rainwater drifts through that rock, removing any trace of iron. And in the aquifer below, we have a sweet limestone water with no iron, perfect for making the best whiskey in the world. So if you'll join me, we'll go into the 1840 Old Pepper Distillery. bourbon has its own wonderful aroma every part so take a nice deep whiff in and enjoy the ambiance so we have entered the old pepper distillery in 1840 on the grains floor all whiskeys are alcoholic beverages distilled from different proportions of grain so that of course includes bourbon but bourbon whiskey is a whiskey that's high in corn now they've been making whiskey for a thousand years in Scotland and Ireland, but not with corn. It wasn't until they arrived in the New World, like the Pilgrims, and of course when the Scotch-Irish-English moved to Kentucky to claim free land, they were required to plant 10 acres of corn. So corn grows great in Kentucky, and about the second year, they got tired of cornbread, decided they tried to make something a little spicier and came up with corn whiskey, which later became known as bourbon. Now this bourbon grew with our rough and tumble American history and sometimes over the last couple of hundred years you got some really great bourbon, matured to perfection here in Kentucky, awesome drink. But then maybe you went out west and you were a cowboy and you went up to the saloon and said, give me a whiskey. 
They surely did, but no telling what they had put in that bourbon or how they had made it. So uh, let me just say the quality might be truly terrible. And then sometimes you've got hold of some lethal bourbon that uh, destroyed your eyesight and your general health. So in 1964, in order to make a wonderful traditional American spirit have a great quantity and quality across the board, they came up with the Native American Distilled Spirit Act. That produced the bourbon laws that all distilleries must follow today call their product bourbon. Six little general rules regulate the whole industry. They are, you can only make bourbon in the continental United States. Most people think Kentucky and most of it is made here, but technically anywhere in the United States, and it's got to be made out of corn primarily. 51% in its recipe. You can't distill it over 160 proof. When you put it in the barrel, it's got to be under 125 proof, and you got to bottle it at the end more than 80 proof, and you got to put it in a brand new charred oak container for at least two years to be called a straight bourbon whiskey. That straight's very important. Now, if it's in the barrel less than four, there's an age statement on the bottle at the end that must be applied. So, Within those uh, regulations, there are five general sources of flavor that each distillery today tweaks, manages, changes to make their particular flavor profile. We had some different bourbons out there, taste kind of different from ours. Nod your head, I won't tell your, your minister that you're here. Okay, all right. So, what does one for reserve do? Well, number one, of course we access that well water all the way down into our aquifer. They, that iron-free component is extremely important. Then the second flavor source is your grain bill. And here at Woodford, we use 72% yellow corn. Um, you know, 51 is required. We use 72. And it's grown here by locally contracted farmers. The most historically accurate corn that we can, can get. And then our second grain is rye, because corn is like cornflakes, kind of bland, right? Kind of doesn't have a lot of flavor. It's kind of sweet, kind of oily, like corn syrup, uh, but it doesn't have a lot of zing to it. So we'll add our rye. That's going to give us baking spices and cinnamon and clove, kind of like rye bread is more spicy than white. And then we'll add malted bark. Now, malted barley is unique, too. Number one, it gives some nuttiness to the product and some smooth, creamy texture. But more importantly, it's a sprouted barley that releases an enzyme that breaks all of these grains down from starch into sugar. Yeast can eat sugar and ferment into alcohol. Yeast the neat whole grain. All right, so the next step is to use our hammer mill out back, and we grind all our grains fresh right before we start the sour mash process. Because freshly ground anything has more flavor than stuff that's sitting around for a couple of years. We're going to see fermentation next, distillation, and then maturation, and I'll show you where we bottle today. So first turn around and look at our cypress fermenters. If you're from the south, you know that cypress is a wood that grows right in fresh water, and it's uniquely suited to be a fermenter. It's what the peppers had back in the 1800s. It doesn't give or take away flavor. It lasts a long time because it doesn't rot. It's impenetrable by water. So to be authentic, we use cypress wood fermenters not stainless steel. Our second tour on the Bourbon Trail is in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, at the Old Forester Distillery. Good afternoon and welcome to Old Forester Distilling Company. My name is Marty. I'll be your tour guide today. If you pick up a bottle of Old Forester and you look at the label, you'll see the words, the first bottle of bourbon on there. And in order to understand why that's significant, why that's something we put on the bottle, you have to go back about 150 
200 years, look at a few things that were different in the market. So the first was, if you were to walk into a bar, pub, saloon, and order a whiskey, it would come to you directly out of a barrel. And you put it into your cup, glass, canteen, jug, whatever it was you had. Second, not only were whiskeys used for social purposes, but they were also used for medicinal purposes, which seems odd by today's standards. But what you have to take into consideration, back in 1870, the number of medications that were available were very, very limited. To put it in perspective, penicillin, which is one of the more common drugs, that wasn't even invented until 1920s. So if you had some sort of a medical issue back in 1870, whiskey was probably about as good as you were gonna get. And then lastly, as far as the process of distilling, there wasn't any government oversight. No one was going out there checking to make sure that distillers were doing it correctly and safely. And if you're familiar with the distillation process, if you don't do it properly, best case scenario, you produce something that doesn't taste very good. Worst case scenario, you've just produced a poison that can basically make you sick, cause blindness, can even kill you. All those, mark, all those things were affecting the market. And as a result, doctors became concerned. Again, you, there was no consistency. You didn't know what people were gonna get. So that was the problem statement. Enter our founder, George Darwin Brown. He was a pharmaceutical sales rep and a whiskey sales rep for a company here in Louisville called the Chambers Drug Company. <coughs> he dealt with the medical community every day and he saw the concern doctors were having with the consistency of the medicinal whiskeys out there. There wasn't any. And he came up with a novel solution. The solution was we would control the source of where the bourbon came from. In 1870, we weren't distilling yet. We were pulling from three local distilleries. We were blending it to make it very consistent. We would put it in a glass bottle, seal the glass bottle. That way you'd be, we'd be able to tell if it had been tampered with. And he would put a signature on every one of the bottles saying, I personally guarantee the quality and consistency of what's in this bottle. As far as the name, Old Forester, just like we have celebrity endorsements today, back in those days, you wanted the name of someone that people knew, recognized, and it would even help if the person was in the medical field. There was a local doctor, Dr. William Forrester. In fact, he was the son of a doctor himself. He was a graduate from the University of Louisville Medical School, and during the Civil War, he basically was recognized as a uh, surgeon for the Union Army. In fact, there's a story that was told about him where outside of a battle that took place in Chattanooga, Tennessee, after the battle, he was captured by the Confederate Army and he was taken to the notorious Libby Prison down in Richmond, Virginia, where he was held as a prisoner of war for about a year. He developed a reputation of being very compassionate, very uplifting to his fellow prisoners. Everyone in Louisville knew the Forrester name. He was a friend and neighbor of George Garvin Brown, and in 1870, uh, Brand was born. That's where the name comes from. Anytime you see the name old on a whiskey, we're not saying that Dr. Forrester was old. What we were saying was it was an aged whiskey as opposed to a new whiskey. So fast forward to the early 1900s, there was a movement starting to gain momentum here in the U.S. It was known as the temperance movement. And the goal of the temperance movement was to completely prohibit production, transportation, distribution, sales of all alcohol products across the United States. As you might imagine, our founder George had an issue with that. Not only did he see it as a threat to his business, which clearly it was, but he also saw it as a threat to civil and religious liberties, which Tom would later proved that he was right. The temperance movement was a faith-based movement. George was a man of faith. So what he did to offer a counter-argument to the temperance movement, in 1910 he wrote a book that was called The Holy Bible Repudiates Prohibition. He went through the Bible cover to cover, pulled out all the various scriptures that supported responsible drinking, put them in a book and published it. Unfortunately, that didn't stop the temperance movement. It continued to gain momentum until in 1919, Congress passed what was called the Volstead Act. In 1920, the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, prohibition was put into place. And it absolutely it devastated this local economy. This area up and down Main Street in Louisville was called Whiskey Row. A couple other, okay, thank you. 
was called Whiskey Road. When the census was taken in 1910, there were about 89 whiskey-related businesses up and down Whiskey Row. Our company, Brown Foreman, is the only one that still exists today. All other companies went out of business, were purchased by someone else, just didn't make it through Prohibition. So George died in 1917, and his son Owsley took over for him, and he was the one who successfully led us through Prohibition. The only way we were able to survive is we applied for and were granted one of only six licenses issued by the U.S. government to continue to distribute for medicinal purposes during Prohibition. So after 10 years of Prohibition, people look back at some of the unintended consequences. Organized crime got really bad, you had smuggling that got really bad, you had bootleggers, speakeasies and so forth, and the compound matters, in 1929 you had the stock market collapse, followed by the Great Depression. A lot of bad things were happening in 1930, so starting to see the beginning of the end of Prohibition, the government issued what was called 100 days of a distiller's holiday. Those companies who were still in business, who still had equipment that were, could distill their product, get it in barrels, and start the aging process. And in 1933, the 21st Amendment, which repealed the 18th, was put in place and ended. The building you're gonna to see today, this building was built in 1857, and we occupied space in this very building from 1882 to 1919. We moved out at the start of Prohibition. It's a 70,000 square foot facility, and was a $45 million renovation. One of the unique things about Old Forester is that we're the only bourbon that's been continuously marketed or distilled by the founding family before, during, and after Prohibition. So we were founded in 1870 by George Garvin Brown, and our president today is a man by the name of Campbell Brown, and he is the great-great-grandson of our founder. Bourbon is a whiskey, but not all whiskey is a bourbon. What makes bourbon unique is it's the only spirit that is native to America. All other spirits came to America from somewhere else. Bourbon is uniquely American. And as such, there was a law that was passed back in 1964 that spelled out exactly what a whiskey had to be in order to be classified as bourbon. There's five requirements. The first is it has to be majority corn, at least 51% corn. Second, it has to be made in the United States. A lot of people think Kentucky, but it's United States. Third, the only thing we can add to it is water, can't add any type of flavors or coloring. Fourth, it has to be aged in a new charred oak container or oak barrel. And the last one has to do with some proofs. When it comes off the still, it can be no higher than 160 proof, goes into the barrel no higher than 125 proof, and when it goes into the bottle, no lower than 80 proof. If a whiskey meets those five requirements, then it's classified as a bourbon. In simplest of terms, there's really only three ingredients of bourbon grain, water, and the oak. We'll talk about the oak once we get upstairs. But as far as the grain, this is the recipe for the grain for all oak forester bourbons, or what is known as the mash bill. And our mash bill is 72% corn, that's where the sweet flavor notes come from, 18% rye, the spice and the pepper flavor notes come from the rye, and 10% malted barley. You do get a nutty flavor from the malted barley, but more importantly what it contributes is an enzyme. The enzyme from that malted barley then converts the starch from the corn and the rye into a fermentable sugar. Then we're going to add a proprietary yeast. Old Forrester has one of the oldest yeast strains in the industry. The yeast strain that we're using goes all the way back to the 1930s, right after Prohibition. The yeast then is going to consume the sugars, and that is that process of fermentation, which is a biological process that produces three byproducts. One of them is going to be heat. The other is carbon dioxide, and last but not least, ethanol or alcohol. This is the only step in the process where we're actually creating alcohol. All the other steps you're going to see are where we're actually separating it, separating other things from it. But this is the only place where it's actually being created. So the other ingredient to bourbon is water. 
A lot of people think that bourbon has to be made in Kentucky, and that's not the correct answer, but it is a reasonable answer. Between 90 and now it's actually closer to 95. 95% of the world's bourbon supply does come from Kentucky. There's more barrels of bourbon aging here than there are people. There's about two barrels for every person in Kentucky. <laughs> so we think what makes it special is our water. This is a limestone wall. Kentucky sits on a natural limestone shelf. Our creeks, rivers, and streams go through a natural filtration process. But what that does is that removes the iron and the sulfur from our water. Those would have an adverse effect on the flavor and the smell. What it adds back are calcium and magnesium. So the water we're using for our bourbon here in Kentucky is essentially a natural mineral water. Let's go ahead and step over to this first fermenter. We have four of these fermentation tanks. Each one of them holds 4,500 gallons. That 4,500 gallons at the end of the distillation process is gonna produce about 14 barrels of distillate. So in other words, only 16% of what is in here actually goes into a barrel to become bourbon one day. It'll make more sense when you see one of the empty tanks so you can get an idea of the scale. So what happens is we're gonna put that corn mash and that yeast in here after it's been milled and cooked. And you can see this is on about day four right now. There's no more heat coming off of it, but you still see the carbon dioxide. And if you notice the smell, on day one it smells like corn. Right now it doesn't smell like corn. You can actually smell the alcohol coming off. So each day during fermentation, that alcohol by volume or ABV starts to creep up. Once it hits about 10% alcohol by volume or 20 proof, you just double the ABV to get proof. At that point, it's what's known as a distiller's beer and we're ready to send it up and distill. The next couple segments tie everything together in the bourbon and whiskey worlds with answering the questions why copper stills and how whiskey barrels are made. Enjoy! One of the questions that commonly get, why are stills always made out of copper? It's a legitimate question. So the art of distilling came to America, came to Kentucky primarily from England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. The Brown family of Brown Foreman are of Scottish descent, which is why we spell whiskey the way we do. That's the Scottish way of spelling it. So copper for three reasons. One is copper is easy to work with. You can beat it into about whatever shape you want fairly easily. Second is that copper conducts heat really well. If you've seen some of the high-end cookware, how it has copper bottoms, copper sides. And then the third reason is that copper naturally pulls sulfur out of anything that is processed inside of it. People found this out a long time ago. So when you put something into that copper still, the sulfur that might still be in there is going to be attracted to the sides and it sticks to the walls. You don't want sulfur in anything that you eat or you drink. It's nasty, doesn't smell good, you just don't want it in there. These are some of our old marketing ads throughout the years, but I wanted to call your attention to this photograph right here. This was taken in 1904 and that's our founder, George Garvin Brown. What really makes it unique is you notice these four windows across the back. The photograph was taken here in this building when we were here prior to Prohibition. In fact, these four windows are located in the office of our master taster, Jackie's Zycan, on the second floor here. So it's kind of neat, 115 years later, we're back in the exact same space that we were prior to Prohibition. On Cooperage, because a cooper is a person who builds barrels. It's not a term that you hear a lot these days. Our company, Brown Foreman, is the only major distiller in the world who make their own barrels. All other distillers get their barrels from a third party. The reason we choose to make our own barrels is because we don't look at this as just a holding container for the bourbon, we look at it as an ingredient. 
100% of the color of bourbon, 50% of the flavor of bourbon come out of these barrels. Has anyone ever had the white dog or the moonshine? It's not good, right? I mean, it, it doesn't taste good. Bourbon, on the other hand, does taste good. It's what happens to it in this barrel that makes the difference. We have three cooperages at Brown Foreman. This is one we make between 10 and 15 barrels per day that scale to the amount of distal we can produce in a given day. Our main facility is located over by the airport. We make about 2,500 barrels per day over there. And then we have a third facility located down in Trinity, Alabama. And they make the barrels for one of our sister companies in Tennessee, Jack Daniels. We use American white oak, source it from a 13th state area, north of about Minnesota, east of the Appalachians, west of the Ozarks. This first step is what's known as raising a barrel. <clears throat> One thing I want to point out is when we make our barrels, we don't use any glue, screws, or nails. They're all held together by these construction hoops during the process, and at the very end, we're going to put the permanent irons on to hold them in place. As we raise a barrel, we're going to take 29 to 31 of these oak staves. You'll notice how there's different sizes in there. There's not a template for this. The Coopers get really good about picking the right combination to wedge them in there. In fact, I saw one of them who didn't get them in there just right the other day and he went to flip it and it collapsed into a heat and started covering. It was a management guy, believe it or not. So once we get it on there, get the right combination, we're going to put one of those temporary hoops so it's going to look like this. Then we're going to flip it over and we're going to move it on to this next step. It takes us about 30 to 45 minutes to make one barrel. This machine is called a windlass. What we're going to do is we're going to lower a heating element down in there. We're going to spray water on the outside of it, and we're going to let it sit there for about 13 to 15 minutes. Once it's thinned for 13 to 15 minutes, heat plus water equals steam, right? The wood becomes soft enough that when we tighten the cable on there, that the wood will not break. It'll creak and make all kinds of noise, but it doesn't break. And then once we get it into the shape of a barrel, we're going to put another temporary hoop on it, which is what you see right here. So you'll see it's not a perfect shape of a barrel yet, but we're getting closer. This next step is a very critical part of the barrel making. This is what's known as toasting the barrel, not charring, but toasting. What we're going to do is we're going to lower the barrel on another indirect heating element. This is a proprietary technique where we fluctuate the heat. It gets really hot and very hot and everything in between. It systematically causes the sugars that are locked in the wood come to the surface. That's very important because once we apply direct flames when we char the barrel, you want to caramelize those sugars. That contributes to the flavor of our bourbons. Unnamed Adventures is a participant in various affiliate programs on our website. An affiliate advertising program is designed for sites to earn advertising fees by linking to products. The prices are the same you pay but we receive a small commission that supports our blog, podcast, and helps us create more content. Thank you for all of your support.